we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, and welcome to our broadcast where we're joining the session today to talk about survivor's guilt. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always consult your healthcare provider to determine the appropriateness of the information for your own situation. Participating in this event with this clinician does not create a physician-patient relationship. Now, let's begin. Joining me today is Dr. Catherine Slyes, or Kit as she prefers, who is a primary care clinical psychologist in the Behavioral Health Department here at Providence in Oregon. And she's here to join us in this conversation, a very important conversation about survivor's guilt. To get us started, tell me a little bit about your, your role with Providence, your background, and, and who is Kit? Yeah, um, thanks, Robin. It's great to be here. So I am a behavioral health provider with Providence. And what that means is that I'm a clinical psychologist and I work in a primary care clinic where I work on a medical team with the, um, the other healthcare providers and nurses and case managers and everybody at our clinic to really help treat our patients from a biological, psychological, social approach. And so I work with patients specifically to reduce symptoms for a variety of medical and mental health conditions. Um, and I also have a little bit of a background working in um, community crisis response and working with helping medical providers specifically who have been exposed to traumatic events. Well, and I know, you know, at the bottom of the screen, we've got, we've got a trigger warning. And, and perhaps we want to talk a little bit about what is a trigger? What does that feel like? Um, so a trigger is something that can trigger a strong reaction to something. And so the trigger warning that we have at the bottom of the screen is to just indicate that we're going to be talking about some topics that might be sensitive for some people that could trigger a reaction that um, a person doesn't want to have right, right now in this moment. And that's a perfectly normal response for some people, correct? Totally normal. Totally okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So we, we're going to talk about survivor's guilt, and I don't know that people are necessarily familiar with that term. Uh, do you want to help us understand what that means? Absolutely. So when we're talking about survivor's guilt, we are talking about um, a traumatic event that has occurred. And so survivor's guilt is sort of a mental state where a person has gone through a, tra a trauma or a traumatic event and they feel guilty for having survived that trauma where maybe others didn't, or they may feel guilty um, if others experienced significant loss and, and they got through the event relatively unscathed. 
And I, I like to think of it as kind of like three themes that people might experience that guilt around. So one theme, it can be like, well, you know, why wasn't it me? Why didn't I die? Or why didn't I lose all, all my possessions or whatever it was? Another theme might be something along the lines of a person questioning, like, why couldn't I prevent this from happening? And then a third theme that we tend to see is um, a person questioning, did they somehow contribute to the event or cause it in some, well, in some way? So the underlying essential feature, though, is that that person is taking on a lot of responsibility um, for the loss that others have experienced. That's super helpful. And, and what are the signs and symptoms that, that you might look for um, to see if you're experiencing survivor's guilt? Yeah, so the signs and symptoms can um, really look similar to somebody who's just experienced a traumatic event. Again, the underlying feature is the guilt, and that may pre present itself in what we call rumination, which is essentially um, when a person is just really obsessively thinking about something over and over again, the thoughts are unwanted, they don't want them. And so they might be thinking about the event itself or wondering why they survived and just having a hard time getting rid of those thoughts in their mind. Mm -hmm. Other things that may come up, a person may experience flashbacks or nightmares of a traumatic event. They may notice changes um, in things like sleep or their appetite. They may mm -hmm. notice that their heart rate increases when they think about the event or the people who suffered about from the event. Um, they may experience emotional changes, whether that's apathy, kind of a general lack of interest or enthusiasm, irritability, fear, confusion, um, things like that. Stomach upset is something that could happen. Um, feeling disconnected from other people as well. Um, and then behavioral changes like socially isolating or turning to drugs and alcohol as a way to try to cope, which isn't always very helpful. Um, and then in, in more severe cases, when a person is really stuck on the, you know, why was I saved? And they kind of go to the hit on value on whether they're a value or they feel whether they feel worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those people may begin to feel hopeless along with some depression and anxiety. It may get so bad that they experience suicidal thinking. And so um, if it did get to that case, we would want people to, to reach out for help for that one. Um, and there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I think that we can put up that num number is 800-273-8255. Um, but those, so those are the signs and symptoms. And a person might um, experience just a couple of those things or the whole constellation. Mm -hmm. So are, are some people more prone to, to experiencing survivor's guilt than others? Is there some predisposing factors? How's that yeah, work? so yeah, I wanna say one thing about that. Um, that you know hindsight bias is super common and what that is is like we all look at the past and think oh my gosh i just seen that coming or oh i could have done these things to prevent it so that is totally normal and just because you're thinking that way doesn't mean that you're gonna develop you know more severe survivor's guilt or some of these other symptoms but if you have had um, a history of trauma yourself prior to this event or if you struggle with mental health concerns like um, depression or anxiety, or if you have a family history of those things, that can make you more prone to survivor's guilt. Um, loss of social support or a general lack of social support, a lack of connection mm -hmm. can put you at risk. Um, use of drugs or alcohol can also um, potentially set you up for some more of those signs and symptoms. 
And then from a psychological perspective, one of the things that's really interesting about survivor's guilt is that um, people who have what we call a high internal locus of control, mm-hmm. which is when they attribute causation to their personal characteristics more so than outside causes, um, tend to have a higher risk of survivor's guilt. Now, this psychological feature, this locus of control that's internal, is usually a healthy adaptive thing because it helps people take responsibility for their actions. And they often feel very efficacious and effective in their actions. In this case, if the person is feeling like, oh, I'm responsible and they're taking on a lot of the blame, it could potentially put them at the higher risk for survivor's guilt. That's so interesting. And, and you know, looking at everything that we're living through right now, I mean, we've got a pandemic on top of you know, yes. justice movements in the, you know, that the world has ever seen. And then for for folks here in Oregon and California, um, wildfires, you know, the the wildfires that we've all been experiencing where many of our uh, fellow caregivers have lost, lost homes, some have lost um, loved ones, uh, some have been dealing with this, you know, like our colleagues in Northern California have been dealing with this for more than one year, uh, several years of these types of, of traumatic wildfire events and things like that. What what are some of the other types of traumatic events that might um, spur survivors' guilt? I mean, these are pandemics, you know, <laughs> all those types yeah. of things. Yes, but what else? Yeah, the pandemic is a new one. I think that we've added to the list yeah. <laughs> um, for sure. Um, I think so. Things that typically tend to cause this are things like accidents, so car accidents um, where somebody dies. Um, war veterans, so when they've had an experience in a, in a war setting and they come back and maybe mm-hmm. other people that they were there with did not come back, um, a veteran can experience in that situation. Um, first responders are, are uh, more at risk of experiencing this, especially with wild, going back to the wildfires too. I worked with um, some first responders in central Washington who you know, had experiences with wildfires in their community. And so they're fighting those wildfires. Meanwhile, like their neighbors are losing houses or, or some of them sometimes their lives. Um, and they're you know, grappling with that. Um, but other natural disasters too. So hurricanes, earthquakes, things like that. Um, transplant recipients sometimes experience this um, if they've had a donor organ um, and and they're alive, of course, and somebody else, you know, is not at that point in time. Um, Another thing that can trigger survivor guilt is someone someone that you're close to or someone in your family dies from a hereditary condition or from suicide. Mm -hmm. Survivor guilt can be experienced. Parents who outlive their children um, and, Mm -hmm. and of course, you know, just where we're in today with the global pandemic and everything, I think that we're just at like more heightened, um, maybe all a little bit more prone to kind of experiencing that with just watching all the suffering going on around us. No, I think that's really, really a good point. It's like, uh, you know, crisis on top of crisis on, on top of crisis, trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And, and I've wondered about that multi-level impact of trauma. And does it kind of, you know, when you look at this from a stress tolerance standpoint, that level of, of constant stress that we're all in in the middle of this pandemic, that has to have some impact on our susceptibility uh, to some of these impacts. Absolutely. I mean, when we're thinking about 
you know, when, when we're a little bit stressed out, our reserves <laughs> are, are, you know, lowered. Yeah. And so it's this constant level of stress that um, makes it harder to handle if, you know, if a traumatic event occurs or a wildfire occurs, it's going to be harder for us to yeah. deal with that. No, I would definitely see, I, I definitely think that's, that's got to be part of that. Are you seeing an increase in, in people in your practice coming in with symptoms of survivor's guilt? Yeah, so I will say, you know, personally, I know a lot of people who have been impacted by these wildfires in um, the family practice that I'm in. We're in sort of the Northwest Portland. And um, so I haven't been too, too, too impacted by the loss of fires themselves. But what I am seeing in my patients, which is actually really in inspiring, is I'm seeing a lot of my patients um, get out and do things like take on evacuees, whether it's people or farm animals and things like that. And they're, they're actually using a really healthy way of coping with potential survivor's guilt, which is like, okay, how do we help people right now in this moment um, of like go out and like, okay, here's a crisis and I want to feel useful. And so I've actually been quite inspired by many of the patients in our clinic um, who are doing these kinds of things. But, you know, I, I've been in the Pacific Northwest for about four years. And so I've been through a number of different wildfire seasons here. And I've seen a lot of survivor guilt in my time here um, from various wildfires, for sure. So, you know, you you bring up the the issue of coping mechanisms. Because we talk a lot about what does this look like? What are the causal factors? Um, how did we get here? Well, now we're here. What do we do with it? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of break it down into two categories. There's like immediately after the trauma um, or traumatic event, like what do we do to kind of get back to baseline a little bit? And then some after things to do to cope with the survivor guilt specifically. So the immediately after trauma, I've got like my top five things I tell people to do. So one is to um, focus on healing your body through rest and activity. So making sure that you're getting enough sleep, but then also getting up and moving. You know, we have a lot of um, stress hormones, adrenaline after a traumatic event, we need to move the body to kind of process those. So body, sleep and move. The second one is to make sure that you're eating regular meals and hopefully a pretty balanced diet. A lot of people we mentioned have reduced appetite or kind of GI distress after a trauma. Yeah. So try to make sure that you're eating regular small meals, even if you're not super hungry, we try to keep it consistent so that you're getting the energy that you need and that we're not getting the added emotional factor of when we, we all feel when we're hangry, right? We've all heard that term before. Um, making, yeah. sure, <laughs> making sure that you're drinking enough water. Um, and then probably one of the biggest ones is to connect with somebody that you trust regularly every day if you can, whether it's a text, phone call, whatever it is. Social connection and what it that does for our brain is so healing, especially after a trauma. And then the fifth one is don't increase your caffeine or alcohol use. Um, and, th and that has to do with after our trauma, our, our nervous system is in overdrive. Again, that adrenaline has been released into the body and actually mm -hmm. ad additional adrenaline receptors have been made in our brain to, to accommodate the adrenaline and caffeine has an affinity to that. So it's gonna keep that adrenaline feeling going for longer, <laughs> right? So don't increase your caffeine. If you, if you need a little bit of it, fine, but don't increase it. And then the alcohol, of course, okay. can disrupt our sleep. So we don't wanna increase that either. Um, and then, so that's like my immediate, like top five things right after the trauma. 
And then yeah. if in, in the days, weeks afterwards, if you're struggling with the survivor guilt, um, memories of a trauma, things like that, what I would recommend is for people to explore who or what was actually responsible for the death or loss that was experienced from the trauma. Go ahead and make yourself a nice pie chart, of, you know, 100% and figure out, you know, was climate a factor? What were all these external events that you had no control over? Usually when we're feeling responsible for a trauma, they're false beliefs that we're holding. And by making a visual representation, even if we assign ourselves a little bit of guilt in there, it's generally much, much smaller than our lovely brains are making it out to be. Um, allow and accept any and all emotions that are coming up. Don't suppress them. Don't try to stuff them away. I know a lot of the feelings that people feel after a trauma, it's like, ooh, that's icky. I don't want to feel that. At least go ahead and just name them, right? People want to stuff them away. Mm -hmm. But what happens when we do that, when we step away our emotions, they come back in sometimes some unpredictable and ugly ways. So go ahead and just name them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> If you're really struggling with like memories of the event and things like that, we recommend for people to use grounding techniques that ground them in the present moment. So this might mm -hmm. be just simple focusing on the breath. Don't have to change your breathing at all. Just feel the air as it goes in and, and leaves your body. Or you can focus on your five senses. So looking around and just naming things that you see or hear. Mm -hmm focusing on, on the sense of touch, like feeling a chair support your body or feeling the ground beneath your feet, feeling um, the air on your skin or perhaps the neckline of your clothing, things like that. Paying attention to um, the sensation of taste and smell as well grounds our brain in the present moment and calms down the nervous system. Um, and then do things that are soothing and relaxing for yourself. Again, to calm down that nervous system, take a bubble bath, listen to soothing music, do some art if you're creative, yeah. do things that you normally enjoy. And the final thing that I would say um, that's perhaps most important is to be patient with yourself and allow time to heal. Again, our bodies are just in overdrive after something traumatic and it takes time for it to come back to that baseline level. So give yourself that time and allow any uncomfortable emotions that are coming up to just run their course. That's really, really helpful. I, I see someone, we have a question that's come in. How do we have someone who might be in denial that they're not coping well with their trauma? That's a really great question. I mean, because uh, oftentimes, uh, we may see something in somebody else and go, you know, I think it might got something to deal with. Yeah, I think that usually the things that we're going to see are like those behavior changes, like turning to drugs or alcohol or like mm -hmm. maybe being more irritable, things like that. Um, and we don't want to force someone to be like, hey, you're traumatized, you know, and, and to kind of like um, <laughs> put words in their mouth. What I would recommend is that... Um, because usually when we see that in somebody, the the human reaction is, oh, I'm concerned about this person. Yeah. And so that's a very um, that's a very non-threatening way to approach it is to express your concern. Hey, I've observed that before this event happened, you were this way, and now after the event, you're doing this, this, and this. And it just makes me worry about you. And I want to know what can I do to support you right now is a, is a way that you could phrase that with somebody. And, and they may 
need to be in denial for a little bit too. In some ways, that's an okay place to be for a little bit for some people until they feel ready enough to kind of face it. Well, yeah, that's true. Denial has a protective, has some very protective factors. We, we have a question also coming in from LinkedIn. How long, Anne wants to know, how long is adequate rest and recuperation? That's a really great question. That is a great question. Um, that might be a little bit different for everybody. We would hope mm -hmm. that within a couple of days to about a week, the, the central nervous system has started to calm down. Um, and if you're noticing that you've gotten some rest and recuperation and been using all the coping tools that we've talked about and that you're finding after a couple of days or a week um, that heart rate is still jumpy and not sleeping and you know, all these things are still an issue, that might be a good time to seek some additional professional care. You know, and, and it's interesting, you know, thinking about that. Um, I know we've got some parents out there and especially with the wildfires, uh, we've got kids and with the pandemic, we've got kids. I mean, we've got kids in virtual learning, which for some kids is pretty traumatizing uh, because it's, it's a very different way of, of, of managing and coping. What can parents do when they think that their child may be having some survivor's guilt that they're not tapping into? Yeah, so I think after a difficult event that a child has been through, it's important for parents to acknowledge um, that this event was difficult and that people, that maybe the parent is feeling differently or that it's normal mm -hmm. to feel differently. After, after the event. So you definitely want to normalize that for the children. Um, it can be different by age. I think with the younger kiddos in that kind of three to six age, they're maybe a little bit more at risk for survivor's guilt because of the developmental mm -hmm. stage that they're in. They're very egocentric. So maybe potential of putting more blame on themselves. And then they're also in that magical thinking stage, which is when um, a person believes a thought or behavior has caused some totally unrelated related thing, like a child, um, what's an example? A child might have a thought about her brother of like, oh, he was so mean to me the other day, I wish he would just die or something, you know? And then maybe the brother goes and gets sick and now the child feels like that that thought caused the event. So especially mm -hmm. with those younger kiddos, um, you might wanna just explore that with them, like what is their thinking? Like, what do you think caused this? And if, if they're find if you're finding that they are having that magical thinking, just kind of help them explore other causes, um, and encourage encourage the, um, of any age encourage a child to to say what it is that they're feeling. And as adults, it's important to model that as well um, to kind of be honest about your emotions, and then to also model how we cope with that. Um, so that the child can see like, ooh, it's okay to have this emotion, even though it's one of those icky emotions I don't wanna feel, right? It's okay to have it and we can get through it. And um, if the kiddo's really young, drawing might be a good way to help them express that. If, or, or if the child isn't verbal, you know, drawing can be a good way to do that. Um, but yeah, just really letting the child know that it's, it's okay to share their feelings and it's okay to have different feelings about it. And then I would say, at each age of the child, if if you're noticing certain behavior changes after a traumatic event, like um, social withdrawal, acting mm -hmm. out, um, or like an increased irritability, changes in sleep or appetite, or any other kinds of behavior changes that you're seeing, that might be an indication it's, it's a good time to get a mental health professional involved. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, because we there is a point when you're dealing with this type of trauma that seeking professional help becomes 
a must do, right? Uh, it's it's kind of like that, you know, I've got a scratch on my hand and it looks really good. I put a Band-Aid on it and now it's infected and it's not looking so good and I need to see somebody. What are the signs that I know, you know, this has gone beyond what me and my trusted friends can do? Yeah, you know, what's interesting about survivor's guilt is it used to be um, a standalone diagnosis and mm -hmm. it is no longer. It's now a symptom of PTSD in a way, that feeling of guilt can be a symptom of trauma. Um, feeling survivor guilt in and of itself is not necessarily an indication that that's time that you need to get help. Um, some indications of times when you would need to get help, again, any suicidal thinking or suicidal ideation, um, and again, the, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, the Lines for Life um, hotline yeah. is a good resource for that. Um, and then um, any of those symptoms that we were talking about earlier, so the flashbacks, nightmares, changes in mood, um, behavior mm -hmm. changes, changes in sleep and appetite, things like that. Um, if, if those are, are lasting longer than a couple of days or a week and you're feeling like they're um, not getting better or perhaps they're even getting worse, that would be a good time to reach out for help. Um, and if you're not sure where to do that, go schedule an appointment with your doctor's office. A lot of doctors these days, like where I work, they have a psychologist there, some yep. places, you know, who can help the person. Um, other other things that you can do is call your insurance company or go on their website and, and look for a mental health or behavioral health provider. Um, and then um, a, a good website too is psychologytoday.com is a great database yep. to find therapists. And they'll usually list what insurances that they take. I think the point in all of this is that you're not alone. Uh, help is always available, even if that help starts with calling the National Suicide Hotline, calling our friends at Lions for Life, calling our friends at Youth Line. Uh, there's always somebody here to listen, and I think that's a really important point. Um, I know for us at Providence, one of the things we've all been dealing with, we have caregivers that we know uh, who've lost their homes, who've lost um, so much in these wildfires both in the Medford area and, and up here in the, in the Portland Service area. And, and I'm wondering, you know, how can those of us who, who haven't experienced those losses, how can we help? What can we do to help our coworkers, our friends and our neighbors? What can we do? Yeah, I think the big risk with survivor's guilt is that like, um, it's, we often don't recognize that we're so focused on the people who experience the loss. Um, mm -hmm. And so it can kind of, um, sneak in for those people who experienced the trauma but didn't experience any loss per se, we might kind of forget, ooh, I should be checking on that person too, right? And so right. I think, um, you know, obviously if a person has experienced loss themselves or if they just went through the traumatic event, I think the first and foremost, reach out. Don't assume that that person doesn't want to talk to you and don't or don't assume that you're going to be a bother by checking in on them. Um, just let them know that you're thinking about them. Ask if there's anything you do. Ask some questions. Be curious and supportive, I think, is the first and foremost. And and frequent check-ins. Yeah. I think that's really important because, I, I, you know, we often talk about, um, you know, whether it's survivor's guilt or, or some of these other types of things. People, you know, who have suffered a loss, uh, maybe they've lost someone to, to suicide, uh, we're afraid to call. We're afraid to reach out. And the reality is mental health, um, as my friend Chris Beneff says, 
is is not a casserole disease. You generally speaking, don't think to bring someone a meal or to or them up, right? Yes. Uh, like like yeah. we do when you've had surgery or something. But the reality is that's actually what we need. Yeah, and that's a good point, Robin, too. I think, you know, we're afraid to ask because we're afraid of what the answer is going to be sometimes. We're afraid, like, ooh, well, what do we do if they say that they're really depressed or something? You know, a lot of times we don't know how to respond to that. So um, here's here's how you respond to that. When a person tells you that they're having a hard time, just go <laughs> ahead and and validate what they're saying. Repeat back what they're saying make say things like so what i'm hearing you say is this and then summarize what they're saying you know uh, reflect back emotions that you're that you're seeing ooh i'm hearing you say that you're having a hard time right now and like sometimes like that's all you need to say that's right <laughs> yeah and that that in itself can be so healing for people it's just to listen to listen to what's going on with them to ask the question and then to sit and listen and really really listen to the answer Really listen You're right, to it. That, yeah. helps, that helps validate my experience and, and that my experience is valid. And and sometimes you're right. That is exactly the thing that we need most is just that validation that what I'm feeling right now in this moment is okay. And it's in this moment and this, you know, we're gonna get through it and you're not alone. And what I a really sense like of that. what a sense of relief that, that can bring for somebody when they're already you know, struggling with like so many other competing emotions and thoughts to feel like, oh, I can feel what I'm feeling right now and it's okay. I don't have to worry about the way that I'm feeling. Yeah, it's not wrong. <laughs> Definitely, it's not wrong. It just is. It just so, is. Yeah. So is there, you know, as we're drawing down to the, to the end of our time here, what's that piece of advice? What is what is the thing that you want to leave people with um, who are experiencing survivor skills? Yeah. So I would say if you're somebody who's experiencing survivor's guilt or, or really any kind of guilt, to be honest, um, the, the advice and the thought that I have for you is that, you know, that guilty feeling, what that tells me is that you are a normal, caring human being. And that right now that guilt feeling, that means that you're kind of channeling that energy into guilt. But Again, what that guilt means is it comes from a place of concern for others. So how can you channel that energy into, into caring, whether that's caring for yourself or caring for people around you? So that rather, rather than channeling the energy into guilt, because it comes from a place of caring, let's put that caring to use. That is absolutely beautiful. I want to thank you, Kit, for spending time with us talking about this issue. This is not easy to talk about. This has been uh, a tough conversation about uh, real feelings that I think many of our caregivers and, and many of us um, who lived in areas where uh, there have been the fires that, that have been uh, dealing with this pandemic. I don't think any of us have been exempt from dealing with the pandemic. And that whole treasure trove of emotions that we're feeling, you are just such an outstanding uh, human for doing what it is that you do and being there in primary care to listen. I want to remind our viewers that Kit and all of our other behavioral health providers are in every primary care clinic that PMG has in the state of Oregon. We're here for you. We're here to listen. Uh, you're never alone. And if you or someone you love needs help, please go to our website, providence.org. Find a clinic near you. Find a fabulous Dr. Kit in your region. And, and get some help because that's part of what we need to do. 
If you're looking for uh, any type of healthcare help, again, go to our website at providence.org. You can also follow me, Dr. Henderson, on Instagram at DocRobHenderson or on Twitter at the same. And be sure to follow us at Providence on social media, at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Thank you so much again for joining us today. This has been a discussion with Providence and some of our providers, and we will see you next time. Thanks.